0: Hi, everyone uh welcome to today's episode of the mastering retention podcast. I'm um, Tom Hammond, uh, your host and co-founder of Userwise. Uh, today we have Janos from Voodoo with us, um, which is going to be a, a super exciting time. We get to actually talk about uh, user acquisition and how things can actually be incorporated into gameplay and stuff. Like so much so much good stuff. I I often talk and think about this like ideal player journey and I feel like we've never gotten there. So Um, It's going to be a lot of fun to to talk about and dig into today. Uh, Before I do that, though, um, Janos, I always like to start with, you know, like, what's your journey? How'd you get into games and and where you are today?
1: Sounds good. So uh, thank you so much, Tom, for the introduction. Uh, My name is Janos, I'm from Voodoo, where I'm the head of growth for the Live Operations team and the Live Operations portfolio. Uh, gaming, uh, I would say it is definitely a crazy world, a little bit like uh, Alice's rabbit hole. And once you get into it, you just get deeper and deeper.
0: <laughs> uh, my
1: journey started about good 10 years ago uh, when I was working at a, a mobile uh, marketing agency, which was also a media broker. And so came the opportunity to join, uh, back in the days, a relatively smaller startup, which was called Social Point. By now, I believe everybody's quite familiar with the brand. They're not much of a startup anymore. (laughs) Definitely. I I think they uh, grew and uh, essentially the company made an amazing uh, journey itself. So that was my first initial uh, drop into uh, the ocean of mobile gaming specifically. And from there, I have been fortunate enough to work at a number of smaller, mid and larger size companies. Uh, leading up all the way uh, to Voodoo in different capacities, mostly evolving around performance-based marketing, growth, and, of course, a little bit of branding on that side. And then stepping ahead from there, of course, a little bit of experience outside of the core gaming areas. I took like about a two-year break when I little bit tried to expand my horizons into non-gaming applications and systems. Uh, but again, as I said, uh, this is a rabbit hole that Alice is just keep inviting you deeper and deeper, and I definitely could not resist. So I've been fortunate enough to be with Voodoo for the past two years.
0: <laughs> That's great. Okay, so we're going to talk about user acquisition and how it kind of ties into uh, product and stuff today. So I think one of like the biggest revelations that I had that makes a lot of sense, but I never really thought about it before was this whole idea that, you know, at any given time, let's pretend we have three ads that are running simultaneously. Now, in the real world, there's many more than that. In our example, we're going to do three ads. We're going to pretend it's for a Disney game. We're going to have a Princess Jasmine ad, a Beauty and the Beast ad, and a Peter Pan ad, because those are the three that I'm thinking of. Um, Now, often, like, when I hear games talking, they talk about... CPI ROAS LTV retention like all these metrics but they st- talk about them like as as if they're hard and fast but the reality is is that you know that princess jasmine ad might have a $1 CPI but their day one retention might be 30% and their LTV might be 90 cents and the beauty and the beast ad might be I don't know, a fifty CPI, but an LTV of $2 and retention of 35%. And, you know, Peter Pan is something different. And so each of these ads can have like different metrics, both on the actual like costs and IPMs, installs per million, um, but also on the retention and LTV side of things. Um, so I, I guess I'm kind of curious, like how should you think about Ads and how they perform at the holistic level. Like, should you really just focus on like IPMs and CPIs, or or should I be thinking about like the complete, you know, end-to-end LTV and ROAs and everything?
1: I think you pretty much answered the question yourself, Uh, uh, but to a little bit expand on 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 that point. So, indeed, I mean, more sophisticated media buyers uh, are focusing on the entire funnel. So of course uh, getting users to view an ad getting users to click on an ad eventually install a game based on an app store is really all nice but technically if the people who we are bringing into the game churn pretty much the moment they arrive it essentially defeated the whole work and the purpose of the marketing advertising and because of this uh we i think need to measure the whole funnel Uh, i personally like to consider this what i call an integrated user acquisition funnel It starts from the very basic impression, the ads, the starting points, uh, and then slowly but surely moves into, of course, the storefront where you will be able to receive more and more information. And then eventually what I like to consider the first time user experience, this is the comprehensive user acquisition funnel. If we are not having all these points correctly aligned, the user will be arriving to the game or the application, but they are highly likely to be churning. So in your concrete example, uh, whether you are on Team Bella or you are on uh, another princess, um, of course, if you are not targeting the users right, uh, if you are promising them different type of gameplays, uh, despite their CPIs might be more affordable because the audience and the segment might be more receptive to those messages. The very moment that they are realizing that they are actually not entering the game that you have promised to them, they will be churning out. Therefore, the retention and their LTV numbers will be much lower. In an ideal scenario, of course, um, this is not just a black and white picture. Um, in most cases, of course, we do need to showcase to the user what would be the depth of the gameplay. Because of course, uh, if I am only showing you the level one gameplay, most users will be finding that a little bit boring. So we do need to taste what the gameplay could actually evolve into. Having said that, uh, if we are only focusing on what that is, uh, of course, as a level one player, you will have definitely different type of expectations. And this is the point where again the final piece of the onboarding experience, the first-time user experience, will be very pivotal. Uh, because for instance, uh, it's a very good practice. Um, we've done it also in some of the racing games I had the fortune to work on. Uh, where uh, for instance, when you start a car racing game, you know, normally you start out with a basic car, a basic garage, and you know, that's not too appealing, not too sexy. But of course, in our ads, in our marketing, we would really like to showcase you know, the fast cars, you know, the cool ones, the Ferraris, the Lamborghinis and want to make sure that people are essentially seeing that this is what it could be. So how can you bridge these two things? It's a very simple solution. Uh, Technically, you can essentially start your gameplay, for instance, with, okay, you're taking, you know, the big boss's car for a ride and you can try out the Lamborghini, but then afterwards, you know, you need to start from the basic, from the foundations and essentially building up this experience. Having said that, if we don't have this connection between the ads and the gameplay, uh, of course, the retention will definitely be suffering, and therefore, all the subsequent metrics, let it be LTV, let it
0: be ROAS. Interesting. So, that's almost why, in like some games, like I think it's like Genshin Impact, like you come in and you like get like the full force of like all the characters, but then you're like you know brought back. That's interesting. Um, okay. Is it possible to like, so it sounds like it's possible you can design an ad that reduces the CPI, but that might also like decrease your retention and everything else after that. Um, but like, is there a, like, have you, have you ever like found a way to like decrease the CPI while also like boosting the retention after the fact, like through certain tweaks, like what, what have you learned of like what you can do to improve those kind of things?
1: And definitely. I think uh, this is the point where we are essentially talking about uh, finding a golden balance between the metrics. Uh, so I can give, for instance, a concrete example of an amazing game I had the chance to work on here at Udo, which is called Plantopia uh, last year. And there, we, for instance, identified it was a merge game where you were merging different garden items, different flowers, different you know fruits. And we, for instance, identified that for whatever reason, uh, maybe it was blueberry season, but the ads with blueberries performed amazingly. Of course, Blueberry, uh, specifically uh, in the game itself, got unlocked a little bit later, so it was not one of the first content pieces that the players were able to pay for So whenever we were seeing lower retention and then, of course, um, we needed to act. Okay, how do we do with it? Do we need to block this type of ads? Do we need to optimize the game, optimize the, the ads? What will be the next step? And then the simple solution could be, again, is a collaboration between two. So first and foremost, we were showcasing that, but equally uh, in the ad content, we were also showcasing the first level content that players were able to engage with. So they do see that, okay, there will be blueberries eventually, but they also see what they will actually be starting with. And on the product side, with a close collaboration, we were essentially able to build certain thematic events where people were actually able to access the blueberry content, so to say, earlier. Mm -hmm. This way, you were able to get the benefit from a more optimized uh, marketing funnel and lower CPIs. But at the same time, even if maybe not necessarily increasing the retention, but at least safeguarding and maintaining the previous retention levels without hurting them too much. Mm.
0: Very cool. Okay. So I've, I've heard about this thing called like an integrated UA funnel, um, which is basically this idea of like, you know, the player sees a certain ad, they maybe hit a custom product page and then they enter into the game and they have like a different experience because they saw the princess Jasmine ad versus let's say the beauty and the beast ad. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about like what that is? Why would you want to do something like that?
1: Definitely. So this is something that I think would tie to the idea and the concept of a a perfectly aligned seamless funnel. Uh, I think uh, those who still know, of course, the good old ages of uh, browser based marketing or browser based gaming and services, this is exactly what we used to do. We were creating an ad, we were creating a relevant landing page and then from the landing page, of course, an onboarding experience for the different products and services. Uh, Till now, uh, as we all know, uh, the two big platform stores have had pretty much a plain level link field. There was one single template design of how the storefront looked like. Having said that, with the recent release of some of the new iOS features and hopefully slowly but surely only on the Android side, we will have the chance to essentially leverage these so-called custom product pages. So what is the benefit that we would be able to harness? This allows us to have more precise targeting. So we will be able from user acquisition standpoint, target a specific segment of users, create specific communication messages that will be targeted to them through different type of ad formats, letting them to land on the custom product pages that will again be showcasing the key values and the features that this segment values. And then eventually through a usage of deep linking or certain other systems, we would actually be able to get them to start a custom onboarding flow, granted that all these builders are making. Of course, little caveat to mention here. Uh, if we are starting a uh, custom onboarding flow versus the mainstream audience, there will be a little bit of a game design difficulty because of course we always need to make sure that the game balancing is right and correct. So just because yeah. someone starts from a different point in the game, they will still be able to kind of pivot back towards the main track, the main progression uh, funnel. Otherwise you technically will need to be up maintaining two, three different games inside the same build with a different progression path. So again, it requires a little bit of effort, both on the growth and the marketing side, as well as on the game and the product design side. But these integrated funnels are, I think, pretty much will be the upcoming uh, points. And I do know for a fact that there are a couple of companies that are definitely pioneering this. Um, Early results are still to come in uh, because some of these features are quite recent in the App Store. Uh, But I think more and more uh, marketing and advertisers are looking into this specific opportunity.
0: Cool that's really cool. Um so for maybe marketing teams that are find it interesting basically like as the marketing team I could control anything within the actual gameplay experience to test whatever I want basically it could be based on the ad could be something else. What are some things that like you as the marketing user acquisition team like might want to be able to change or to tweak or to A/B test like in the game itself, just like as some examples.
1: So on, on that point, specifically through marketing iterations, of course, uh, in an ideal case, we are testing a very large number of different creatives, um, specifically at and I believe, with a couple of other companies, uh, we are even trying to create custom content. So for instance, specific levels, uh, specific type of gameplay experiences, making sure uh, that we are uh, able to essentially showcase the best of what the gameplay could be. Having said that, some of these gameplays and some of these experiences are usually experimental. So that means that they are usually not part of the core gameplay. Now, if uh, uh, gameplay actually becomes uh, so dominant, uh, sorry, an advertisement material becomes so dominant and so powerful, then we actually uh, prove to use a methodology which is called the user-driven innovation. So technically what the users opted for and like the most in terms of the advertising content, we can find ways how to integrate it back into the game. On this point, I can share a couple of interesting learnings again from Voodoo. We had a game which is called Bubble Buster 2048. It's essentially uh, merging different kind of balls in the 2048 uh, structure. And what we have identified, for instance, that uh, uh, instead of using the balls with the numbers, if we started using fruits, it was performing very, very strongly, especially during the summer months. So, you know, when you merge two kiwis, you're getting a lemon. When you merge two lemons, you get a grapefruit. Two grapefruits bring you to sugar marrow, and so on and so forth. Again, uh, on face value, it works really well. It was working excellently uh, inside our ads, and it was uh, the top spender ad for, I think, about five to six weeks even. Of course, the question is, so how do we take this value and this benefit, this learning inside the game? What we decided to do, okay, let's try it. Let's try to have a couple of levels uh, that are essentially based on only fruits without the numbers. What we have learned, of course, that uh, to a certain degree, these systems work, but there come a moment when you do need a little bit of more of a mathematical, you know, the 2014 core gameplay is evolving around the, this uh, summation. And simply the fruits just did not really cut because you got to a point where you didn't quite know, okay, so which fruit do I need to merge with which one that would help mm-hmm. me to kind of reach my goals and targets. Yeah. Because of that, the final conclusion was actually that the A-B test results were negative. So that means that we were not able to implement it inside the game. But what mm-hmm. we did still, because it was still a powerful marketing tool, we incorporated it as a bonus level inside the onboarding funnel. So mm. this means, again, that we got the benefit of a lower CPIs. We got the benefit of essentially able to engage people and bring them into the people. We were able to provide this experience at a relatively early funnel stage, when they were still getting used to the gameplay. So they were playing and enjoying what they actually seen inside the ads. And then slowly but surely, we were able to migrate them over to the main progression of the game so that they understood how to essentially progress from there.
0: That's awesome. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about misleading ads. Um, Why don't they work? And and could that be overcome?
1: So uh, first and foremost, I think there needs to be a a disclaimer made. So misleading ads do work. Uh, If they wouldn't work, uh, many companies wouldn't (laughs) have done that in the extent that they did. Uh, I think usually what needed to be understood, of course, whenever we are talking misleading ads, so ads that are not representative of the actual gameplay experience uh, that you are seeing inside the game. uh, The reason why we do it is very simple. Uh, Those gameplay experiences tend to grab attention and tend to get interest uh, from the users. Let it through because of a very satisfying uh, type of gameplay or let it be through frustration. Of course, when people are seeing those ads and they're saying, "Okay, you know, I'm frustrated. I'm going to do better at that level. You know, I'm not going to make that dumb mistake I'm seeing in the ad," and then you land inside the game and you don't see anything of the content that was shown, most of the players will be churning off. Having said that, it was not uncommon to see, you know, halving or in some cases even larger impact on the CPI. So therefore, in terms of unit economics and metrics, actually some of these gameplays were able to work. Over time, definitely the platform owners and certain customer protection agencies a little bit stubborn, and and now currently it is even part of the policies that if you are using misleading advertising your uh, app store, uh, you might actually even be suspended in certain cases. And Mm -hmm. because of that, I think definitely there is a different uh, view case uh, currently. Uh, So we are still trying to push the boundaries of the gameplay, and there is definitely what I like to call a um, gray zone, uh, where you're not exactly representing 100% the gameplay, but equally it is not essentially a very abstract type of, or a completely different type of gameplay. And again, these are the points that I mentioned before that can provide this user driven innovation. So these opportunities I think should still be there and the marketing team should still be allowed to, to experiment with that. And again, if it works so well that it helps the marketability that much, there could be two options. Um, As I mentioned, we can try to bring the ad experience closer to the gameplay and stay true to the gameplay itself. Or the alternative option, finding clever ways how to integrate it inside the game specifically. Mm. Giving again a concrete example for this, um, at Wudu we have a game which is called Collect Them All. And at Collect Them All, it is about essentially, as it says, collecting different dots. Uh, Essentially, the more you can collect in one chain, the higher the score and the better that you will be able to achieve. And what we have identified that there are a couple of basic simple brain teasers that are also related to connecting different dots that were actually working very successfully in our marketing advertising. And pretty similarly to the example I mentioned about Bubble Buster 2048, we actually integrated these gameplays as bonus levels inside the game. Uh, Granted that they were so successful, we actually integrated multiple of them. And uh, I'm not sure about the exact cadence, but approximately every 10 level or so, you are actually receiving one of these special brain teasers now. On Mm. on that side because that's something that again both made the gameplay experience uh, more interesting helped massively with the marketability and getting the CPIs lower and then essentially benefited also the overall uh, uh,
0: performance of the game. Cool. Um, Okay, I want to talk a little bit about um, so there was an article that Facebook published might have been like a year or two ago but basically they found that Only one out of four people, I think it was one out of four. I don't think it was one out of two. It's been a while since I read the article, but I'm pretty sure it's one out of four people um, are willing to download a game they haven't heard of before. So basically, we got to this point where like there are so many just like options for games and stuff that are out there that like unless a friend is recommending that, hey, you should check this thing out and then you see an ad about it, like a lot of people see an ad for this new game. And they're just not willing to take it. Um, Have you found that that's actually the case? Like, are we basically just like burning three out of four, you know, ad impressions is just like wasted?
1: I think this ties a little bit more towards a a concept of essentially awareness and brand recognition. So, uh, to a great deal, yes. When a new game is launched, of course, unless it is related to a major IP, just like you mentioned, the Disney Princesses or something, where there is not like a previous knowledge uh, about the game. Uh, Of course, uh, people are a little bit skeptical. Is this really interesting? Is this really the good quality? I think uh, just like we use the same branding principle, you know, that the good old household brands like Coca-Cola has been using, you know, when I'm showing you that you are thirsty and you are drinking Coca-Cola 500 times a day through TV, radio, uh, newspaper, you know, eventually there comes a moment when you know what, when I'm thirsty, I'm actually thinking about Coca-Cola. This principle, this fundamental idea still applies, of course, today in the world of digital space. So I think uh, usually making sure that we have a good enough ad frequency and making sure that we are showcasing multiple ads, uh, even to the same user over a period of time, I think it's beneficial. Of course, when the frequency spikes very high, so that means that in a given period of time, let's say one day we are showing too many ads, that usually leads to dissatisfaction and usually people will be crossing out and therefore negatively impacting your advertising uh, capabilities and advertising score with most of the ad servers uh, currently. But what you can still do again is still making sure that you are using a selection of ads. Uh, I personally have not worked in a mobile gaming company when at any given point in time we don't have at least two to three ads that are contributing to the majority of the volumes. In case this number drops to lower, so let's say one to two, usually that is a very, very big red flag for the marketing team that they really need to focus on the creative optimization. But tying back to your uh, original uh, question in terms of how many ads people need to see until they convert, Um, I think there have been definitely different studies, there is a concept what we call multi-touch attribution. Uh, So essentially trying to see how many touch points a user have had before they actually installed an application or a game. Uh, Sometimes you can actually see that certain channels are of course reinforcing one another surprise, surprise, of course, social networks, you know, when people are browsing through their different feeds, they tend to see over and over the different ad, and which one will be the final ad that will actually trigger the direct response so that the people are actually downloading and starting to play the game. Sometimes uh, that's a question mark on on that side. There could not be maybe a clear cut answer to that. Uh, Having said that, unless we have essentially uh, this type of uh, a perceived scale, so seeing our ads in multiple channels, Uh, Of course, the awareness will not be there. And as we all know uh, from the basic uh, uh, mental model, you know, awareness, interest, desire, action, these are the full loops that people are going through, irrespective of the type of product that they are acquiring. Um, So we just need to make sure that that awareness piece uh, stands and then afterwards and the rest of the response will be following.
0: Yeah. So essentially what you're saying is I could almost get around that I have to hear it from a friend, if I'm almost like inundated with. Let's so like let's take like the Genshin Impact launch. Like nearly every subway, even in like elevators, all across Facebook and social media, like Genshin Impact ads were everywhere. Let's take like in Japan, um, and so it's almost like you're just like inundated by them. I almost feel that same way with like Royal match. Like I just see those ads just like everywhere and they're all tend to be like different, but it like feels like I'm just seeing this thing everywhere. It's almost as if I've heard about it. Is is that kind of what you're getting out of? Like you can have, well, like if it was all the same ad, I probably wouldn't feel that way. It would feel spammy. But if you have lots of different ads, you can kind of like create this atmosphere, so to speak.
1: Uh, Definitely. So this ties back to the previous point that I mentioned about the perceived scale. So uh, you don't necessarily need to be like a big brand like Coca-Cola spending hundreds of millions. You need to be perceived as a big brand specifically for the target segment that you are targeting. Mm -hmm. So let's say if uh, your target segment is just saying a number 1 million uh, players, if you can make sure that you are all the key points where these people are online in terms of social media, online in terms of gameplay experiences and advertising on the right channels, of course, they will be seeing a lot of different ads through different channels. So, of course, in their mindset, uh, you will be perceived as a big brand that could be interesting to test and try out, even if they might have not had a direct experience from a friend or a close relative. Of course, uh, friendship referrals and, you know, people who are inviting uh, are always more stronger and powerful. So I would definitely not say do not invest into that community engagement, uh, brand ambassadors, just like for every product, uh, they could be the cornerstone of a successful marketing campaign. Having said that again, uh, through the right targeted approach of investments, uh, you can definitely achieve something similar through this perceived scale. And again, we can even think one step further uh, as we know, you know, all the connected TV providers, sometimes, as you mentioned, some of the out-of-home, digital out-of-home uh, providers that are becoming more and more available,
0: uh, all of these things can definitely help and promote this. Very cool. Um, so you talked about this like multi-touch attribution and stuff. Like, are, are there ways that you can figure out, like, on average, people in this target segment of players need seven ads or 11 ads, or like, how do you test that and and deal with that kind of thing? It it doesn't seem like that's what marketing teams usually focus on. They focus on like, I want to get my CPI down and my LTV up with like the single ad, not this like whole plan of attack kind of a thing.
1: Yeah, so um, completely transparently, I think most of the performance advertisers indeed are focusing on what we call the direct response, so the actual install. Uh, I think in understanding how those installs are generated and whenever we little bit, so to say, open up the hood and, you know, start digging a little bit closer into that growth engine and kind of seeing what happens inside, that's when we would be getting into It is very important to note, of course, that with the emergence of different privacy measures, uh, these systems are becoming more and more difficult, uh, of course, because sometimes we have delayed signals, incomplete signals, especially on the level of the creatives. So this is becoming an increasing challenge for marketers. But still, uh, through your attribution provider, most of the cases you are actually able to essentially track, you know, what kind of clicks have been sent to the game specifically. And in some cases, you are actually able to connect those dots together uh, using the, the timestamp of the clicks. And eventually, of course, we still have a number of users who are kind enough to opt in and essentially share their data. So we have a full attribution loop and we can understand, you know, how that um, multi-touch step essentially went again uh this is still something which is more of an approximation uh, and some cases it might not even be clear why one partner over the other was actually the last one uh, yeah. this is usually tied specifically to the concrete so to say you know mental state uh, uh, environment of the specific user uh, in some cases you need to show I don't know a user 500 times the same ad until on the 50 one time they actually find something okay that specific this is interesting enough for me to download and play and test it out
0: very cool, okay so I want to switch gears just a little bit now yeah. um, and I want to talk about so live ops games as a service everyone's doing it it's kind of become the the new de facto way and it's a better business model right um, how should marketing and user acquisition tie into live ops or should it at all like should they be completely separate things or should they kind of work together and
1: Uh, No, I think um, I personally have been a very big believer of, again, not just integrated marketing funnels, but integrated marketing campaigns. So I think uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, this is the foundation. Without having a close collaboration between the product teams, uh, if there is a sophisticated company of let's say a live operations team, uh, as well as the growth user acquisition marketing team uh, is essential. Uh, very simple reason. You might have the best product, but if nobody is aware of it, it's the best kept secret in town. It will never ever going to help you out. So this is the point, again, where the marketing team uh, carries quite a big importance. If Number one, of course, bringing in the new users. But number two, again, a little bit shaping through the crowd team, the communication, the messages, what we are showcasing to the users. And, you know, it could not just only be focused on specifically uh, the standard, okay, this is the game, you know, this is how you play it, but we can also, as we discussed before, focus on specific segments, specific features that talk to those segments, and this is only possible through a cooperation. And then whenever we talk about more the live operation cycle, this is when we are thinking about working together towards, for instance, certain feature or content updates, uh, because it's one thing that we have a very amazing cool feature, but then the question is, okay, when is the right time to launch it? uh again a uh, little bit timely question right now we're approaching the holiday season you know surprise surprise people will be expecting some sort of a uh, christmas slash winter theme content uh, so all of these things do need coordination uh, what would be let's say maybe a new character a new scene a new scenery that can be launched from product perspective and then of course on the marketing side how can we best showcase some of these content pieces for the user so that they are aware? Also, helping with the retargeting and re-engagement. So, of course, it's one thing that we're always talking about new users, but it is much better also to make sure that we can reactivate and bring back the users that have already been. Let it be through different community outreach or CRM activities, uh, push notifications in-app messages, or actually through third-party providers through retargeting campaigns.
0: Mm. Do you ever find... uh... It, or I guess you know, I could imagine that it's challenging though because like the live ops calendar often you have tons of things going on, marketing, you've got all your you know typical stuff. like what's a, a good way that you found that you can kind of work together to maybe like come up with, hey, I want to do a reengagement campaign. Here's an interesting live ops event that's going to be happening and here's how I can kind of tie those together or something like that like what's the best way for those teams to work together?
1: Uh, So for us, uh, for the biggest and uh, highest priority games, we actually have weekly syncs where all the stakeholders are present. Let it be growth, user acquisition, monetization, uh, product uh, art, and so on. And what we are exactly trying to do is, of course, have a short update on what's happening on a week-to-week basis, so kind of the business-as-usual topics. But at the same time, this is when we start coordinating more longer-term ideas, tests, For instance, uh, the the specific uh, content update or feature update. And usually, I think, um, at least at Wudu, we are really numbers driven, I guess, just like most of the mobile advertisers uh, on the planet. So what we are always trying to do is building a basic case. Okay, so for instance, if we launch a new feature, what would be expected impact on the LTV from a marketing standpoint? What would be quasi the marketing engagement value. So how we can essentially either help to decrease the CPI or maybe just maintain the current CPIs, but increase the scale and the profitability through that.
0: Gotcha. That's cool. Have you ever thought that something would work out really well and it just failed completely to engage users?
1: Uh, Definitely. Uh, I don't have a concrete example from Voodoo, uh, but I have a couple of uh, older examples for some of the companies I had the chance to uh, to work for. So, for instance, uh, back in 2016-17, I had the fortune to work for an amazing company uh, back in Helsinki, Finland, uh, which was called Armored Interactive, and we had a really amazing uh, game in the making. Uh, I still came to today that that was the most visually stunning game that I have worked for in that uh, age. Having said that, uh, unfortunately you know pretty pretty only lasts so long. So despite we hadn't had a really big emphasis on, on almost cinematic uh, visual experiences. Of course sometimes if the gameplay experience is not good, uh, no matter how much I'm twisting essentially the marketing communications, the messages, the community outreach, uh, players will start playing the game and if they don't really get the same experience, of course unfortunately they will be churning. So there, I think the key takeaway was, of course, um, we would really need to essentially focus on providing good quality assets because people are, again, expecting good quality content. Uh, After all, you would not like to look at ugly ads on your feed, for instance, when you're scrolling through Instagram. Having said that, uh, ultimately what will matter is the core gameplay experience. So if the core gameplay experience is not strong enough and it is not able to engage, it will be very difficult to have engage uh, essentially through ads alone. And again, uh, I think the game did have had a really good chance. Um, let it be. Maybe we would have needed to figure out a little bit better how to essentially uh, fine tune some of these starting points.
0: Yeah, that's great. We um, back just a little bit. So, kind of touched on this idea that you know Facebook said only one out of four people are willing to just like play a new game. Um, have you found any way to? from a marketing side or gameplay design or, or whatever to like get people to actually want to share this game with a friend? Yeah. Uh, so I think this type of practices, it's essentially called a
1: very simple membership referral type of program on, on that side or, or refer a friend. Uh, I think most of the companies have been trying and usually this is something that is one of the social features that we try to implement the earliest. Uh, with all the honesty, I have seen mixed results. So, of course, whenever there are very engaged players who are really essentially challenging other friends to you know come play, you know competitively or collaboratively. Uh, having said that, the still tend to be like a very narrow segment. There is even a term which is referring what we call the social whales. Uh, you probably have heard about the the monetary whales, the financial whales, who are more the highest value users who are essentially making the largest in-app purchases. But ultimately, uh, what will matter a lot, of course, is some of these social wheels who are also really keeping to essentially activate and animate uh, the user base. Having said that, uh, just having a simple uh, you know, membership referral program or a friendship referral program doesn't really work. The question is, of course, from all the players are very uh, clever. You know, what is in it for me? So normally what you also need to do is provide a clever system of incentive. And even more importantly, something that I have seen, especially for multiplayer games. Is uh, of course, how can you connect the players together? Because it's one thing that I'm inviting my friend, and you know, my friend is joining. Maybe I'm at, let's say, level 50, he's only at level one. But of course, the reason why I'm inviting him because I want to play with him. And of course, in terms of a matchmaking or kind of competition, it will be a very unfair competition between a level one and a level 50 player. Still, the idea is to figure out some sort of a way how to reconnect those players. and Eventually, when the time comes that they would be able to enjoy the gameplay experience uh, the most. This usually has been, I think, one of the biggest blockers I have seen in most of the companies. Because again, the friendship invite system using through third party plugins uh, from social channels and so on, I would say it's a relatively straightforward integration. The question is, how can we then essentially correct and we create that shared gaming experience?
0: Mm. That's interesting. I read a book one time. Um, I forget what book it is exactly, but I think it might have been called Hooked. Um, there's a whole bunch of books on like growth marketing, and then that was one that kind of stuck out. Um, but anyways, in one of those books, um, they talked about virality. Um, and they almost like referenced this thing that they called the cool factor, um, which was like, oftentimes we don't go and share new things in our lives. If it's not going to like, like embolden our pride or like make us look good or something like that. But if you do have something like new and interesting that like. By sharing it with somebody else, it makes you look really good. You're much more likely to go and do that. And I think like Genshin Impact did do that when they launched because they had this like beautiful AAA type experience that like you kind of wanted to show off to your friends that you found this thing and you played this thing and now they can experience it too because it kind of like makes you look cool and looks like you can find the awesome new stuff. Um, Have you found that that, plays into it at all? Or does that not really apply to gaming as much?
1: Um, I think uh, I don't have a direct experience with this, but uh, definitely, I mean, this is just, I would say basic human behavior. Uh, As we all know, you know, the headlines are always like drug rock and rolls and everything, you know, uh, coming after that. Uh, So on that part, uh, I think more from a game design perspective, what I do know, and again, uh, the concrete example I was sharing from the game uh, Armada Interactive build, Uh, What we were also really focused on, because the game was having a very high visual fidelity, is how we can optimize for something what we call spectators. Because, of course, one thing is that there are a very large uh, population who are actually playing the game, but it is equally important that the content that you're able to share out of your game will be very easy to consume, very good to look at, uh, also from a, a perspective. Uh, And again, this in terms kind of feeds the growth loop. So if we have essentially an app that is easy to connect, let's say, to different streaming providers, from the streaming providers, it has a really good clean feed that you essentially can showcase that that will help essentially having organic content creators to pick up the game, play the game, reflect on it, and then eventually, therefore, in turn, essentially get people to play it. So I I do agree with the point. Uh, Again, uh, there needs to be something, so to say, newsworthy uh, and interesting enough uh, so that you would be able to share it. And I think from a product design perspective, this is exactly one of the tasks that we need to make sure that we have, again, the different toolkits, that it's easy. So it's not something where you need to download 50 different plugins to essentially be able to do that or have like two, three other apps to stream the game. And at the same time, of course, also provides a really seamless experience so that the game doesn't become laggy. Um, Usually this
0: ties more into, of course, a technical performance optimization. That's amazing. I love it. Um, Cool. So um, I know we're getting pretty close to time, but um, I do have one last question for you because we are on the Mastering Retention podcast, that is. Um, And that is, you know, what's one tip or trick or lesson you've kind of learned over the years to increase retention? Like, how do you keep players coming back day after day, week after week? ideally year after year?
1: So on, on this point specifically, uh, I will need to a little bit point back towards my home ground, which is performance based marketing and user acquisitions. Um, I think good retention starts with good targeting. So again, uh, I can use all the different items in the toolbox uh, in terms of, you know, different re-engagement methodologies and so on and so forth inside the game, if I'm not bringing the right profile of users that definitely is going to destroy the retention. So I would actually stay like almost like a step zero before thinking about the retention mechanisms. We really clearly need to have an idea of who we are building the game for. And even if it is something which is a very mainstream game, uh, at Voodoo's portfolio, we have mostly hyper casual, very easily pickable games. So of course, uh, in this cases, you might ask, okay, so, but I mean, if you're targeting millions of users, you know, how can you actually still have that? still i think uh sometimes what people are again overlooking is the creative and the power of creatives so sometimes you have very broad targeted campaigns but the type of visuals you are showing essentially will be pre-selecting the type of users that will be coming into your game and i think that would be maybe one of the the biggest learnings that uh, retention and retention management i think starts not just inside the game when people are having the first time user experience but also in the user acquisition funnel. What are the type of experience and what are the expectations that we're setting? Because ultimately we need to sell and provide a good gaming experience. We need to showcase that. But at the same time, we need to make sure that again, the game will be able to deliver on some of those promises.
0: That's great. Well, thank you so much, Janos. Thank you for inviting me.